Hello and welcome to the Deadhead Podcast. You guys should come up here one day. You'd enjoy it. You'd enjoy the show. And I guess welcome to episode two. It's Brody. Oh, and the Spud. Uh, I'm I'm the Gerd. Hi. <laughs> welcome back, everybody. You guys answered that. So hi. Welcome back to the shit show. God, I just caught up. I just completely missed everything that was just said. It cut out. Great. What are we going to do with you? What are we gonna, uh, where are you? How about, how about one of us gets into the country? Like where you should be. Yeah, no kidding. No. <laughs> I've been trying, but uh, the company yeah. keeps putting me, like, not home. You even sound more that you're not in the country. That you're yeah, that you're in the country. You have that international tone to your voice. Yeah, it's it great. sounds like not international Wi-Fi. Is that what it is? Yeah, yeah. that's exactly it. And I'm surprised <laughs> that I can actually make out the words you're saying because normally that Wi-Fi is absolutely horrible. Yeah, I'm kidding. It, it, it isn't. It, it's more built up down here than I thought it would be. Where are you now? Are we gonna? Can you say where you actually are? Do you care? Yeah, no, I, 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 I am on an island. It's called Trinidad. Oh, yeah, I don't like it. You can keep it. <laughs> <laughs> who, who are we going to call the guy you're flying with? What, what are we going to call him? Uh, Mr. T. All right, so uh, wow. have you and Mr. T used that shower? <laughs> like, you know, have you been hanging out in the room? Maybe, while? maybe tell the people uh, what your uh, room arrangement is. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's a little awkward. There's a shower right next to the bed, and it's all clear except from about the knees to the top of your chest. That's that's kind of opaque, but the rest of it is completely clear. <laughs> and, uh, all I, I can imagine maybe it's, is like, like you wake up some morning. <laughs> yeah, you wake up some morning and you know that meme of Jim looking through the blinds in the office. <laughs> Just someone staring at you sleeping from inside the shower. Be a little weird. You know what? If I was one country to the west, I'd completely expect it. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> yep, I had that in France. That was fine. <laughs> which, which for those who are geographically challenged, is Venezuela. France. <laughs> No, of me. Oh, yeah, right. France. Well, well technically, like, if you go all the way around and north, you right. Everything is west of everything if you go all the way around. That's true. That's true. That's you can't true. really ever be wrong. That's true. It's like uh, one time when I was uh, instructing, and uh, it was an instrument prog check, and uh, the guy exited the hole, and instead of continuing on his route, he would just he programmed like a straight line going nowhere in uh, the G1000. And uh, so I let it go like for 30 minutes. So we were in the middle of nowhere. And 
I looked at him and I said, uh, where are we going? He said, on our route. I'm like, really? He's like, yeah. I was like, oh. So I zoomed out and the line like went all the way to Japan. I was like, huh, we got enough fuel to go there? He's like, oh shit. I was like, oh, so we don't have enough fuel. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I had a student that did very similar. Let's <laughs> <laughs> tell the story first. You or me? I do, I can, I'm having such a hard time hearing you. It's fun. Hearing me? Am I too quiet? No, like, it's just, I don't know if it's my end or whatnot, but it keeps cutting in and out. we got to find out a better way to do this. But anyway, really? you can tell your story first. Uh, well... The the potato there. Do you have any trouble hearing me? No, I have zero trouble. Uh, well, okay. hold on. I'm using the Wi-Fi. Oh. Except for I do have Verizon, so I don't dare disconnect that. So never mind. Continue. <laughs> so I, I did have a student that did something similar to uh, the potatoes there, and uh, <laughs> we we were in uh, South Florida. Took off from Okeechobee, and Every, there's a there's a jail just northeast of Okeechobee. So if you're going to the east northeast, everybody uses this jail as their VFR checkpoint. Everybody, because it's like the most prominent thing. Everybody uses it. The problem is, is that nine times out of ten, you're still climbing by the time you actually hit it. So they would pass it after their top of climb, or before their top of climb, rather. And they wouldn't realize it, and so they missed the first point, and then they'd have to try to kind of catch up. And nine times out of ten, people would realize what was going on, go to the next checkpoint, wouldn't be a thing. But I had this one guy take off. I'm watching it pass underneath me. He's not doing anything. He doesn't realize what's happening. And just keeps going. And keeps going. And keeps going. And so, now, I, I knew the airspace long enough. I knew we were going to hit any other deltas or anything like that. So I just let him right. go. We had about yeah. the coastline of Florida, the east coast of Florida. And I just look at it. Now, <laughs> the, I, I trained foreign students. They, the particular <laughs> um, country that my students were from, they're very, very proud. They're, they hate saying that they messed up. They shouldn't be. They hate saying that they screwed up. So we hit the coastline, and now we're we're beyond the point of this being a simple screw up. So where are we? (laughs) He goes. I think I missed my checkpoint. Like I think you did too. How do you think we can find our way back north? Oh my God. <laughs> I just look at. I'm like, it's really fortunate that you're training in Florida because you have the best VFR checkpoint right now, and it's the coastline. Right. You screwed it up so bad. How do you think we might get north when we could follow the coast? Yeah. Why don't we do that? <laughs> oh, Dude, there was this one time I was in so same thing southeast Florida 
Just one time, plus my training. Yeah. (laughs) And there was a hurricane. And when I say hurricane, I don't mean like it was bearing down on top of us. I mean, it was like 100 miles off the coast or something. Right. And whenever there was any sort of uh, inclement weather, that was the time old Gertie Poo decided, we're going. Number one, (laughs) on board. Number two, nobody else is going to be around, so I can do whatever I want. Right. And it'll be hilarious. (laughs) So let's go. So it had to have been gusting 50, 45 knots, somewhere around there. Well, that was a, Maybe that a, was a normal day for out in the Midwest where I did all my uh, teaching. Yeah. So, I mean, but this is, you know, having that hurricane come where it's coming, and it's a, basically a direct – anyway, whatever. So, And it's like monsooning out there. So I lived right down the road, and I'm like, whatever. Let's go in. At the very least, I can do ground with this person. I want right. to go fly, but we'll figure it out. So we get there. And a colleague of mine and I are standing there looking at the computers, and we both look at each other. We're like, no, this isn't happening. This is stupid. But we're going to turn this into a learning scenario, hopefully. Right, absolutely. Yeah, as an instructor, you turn everything yeah. into a learning opportunity. Yeah, exactly. So I'm like, and, and my, well, learning was my primary goal. Uh, screwing with somebody was my secondary goal, just because of <laughs> So the guy comes in. Yeah, you know that whole uh, you know instructors being respected and stuff. Nah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So he comes in. He's stoked. Mr. Mike, you know, goddamn, I have to edit that out. Um, you know, he comes in. He's like, all right, where where are we going? What are we doing? I'm like, I don't know. Are we going? That's the first question I have. Are we going? I don't know. Who's the captain, Captain? Pick up your mind. Figure it out. Computer, go outside. Put your finger up in the air. See if the wind blows in a certain direction. I don't care. Go figure it out. Right. So he looks out the window, looks at the computer. He starts walking out through the hangar to go outside to the ramp. And as he's opening out the door, I go, bro, we're going or not? He's like, oh. Uh, uh. And he's thinking, because I asked, he wants to say no now. Right. So he goes, uh, mm-hmm. uh, no, uh, no, I, I don't think we should. Why not? Well, you're asking me. I'm like, because you're in charge, bro. I'll go up all day long. If you're asking me, I'll go up. I'll do loops in, the, in this stuff. It'll be entertaining. He's like, okay, then we'll go. And he starts to walk out the door. I said, dude, get back in here. No, we're not going back out there. There's a hurricane off the coast. Sit down. He's like, oh, okay. I'm like, dude. And that's something I always was really trying to put in my students' heads. If you have to second guess and think, maybe I shouldn't go, guess what? You, you don't go. go. Wait, but here's the real question. Did he look at the radar? Yes! He looked at everything. <laughs> he didn't see a big, swirling mass of death off the coast. No, well, because the first thing, like I said, because I second-guessed him, he thinks that I'm basically telling him, no, we shouldn't go. But I'm not. Right. So that's why I said no right. the first time. And then I said, dude, if you're asking me if I want to go, yes, I do. I'm here. I want to go fly. What are we going to do? And, of course, he takes that as, well, I don't want to disappoint it. So, yeah, okay, I guess we'll go. I'm like, dude, we have so much more to talk about. We're at more than your aeronautical decision-making. You're the one in charge, not me. Because <laughs> if you ask a passenger, hey, do you want to go? They're going to be like, can we? Yes. And they'll also right. be like, yeah, i got to get home for the holidays. Let's go yesterday, please. <laughs> they don't give I a shit. Like, hey, man, 
Boomerang, it's severe turbulence. We have hail. We have uh, we have lightning and, and snow, all in the same weather nastiness. And they're like, well, is it safe? <laughs> right. Yeah, sure. Let's fucking do it. Who cares? No, whatever. Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? Fuck it. <laughs> I just say, it's like, I want to go home and have a beer just as much as anybody else. So if I'm going, yeah, we'll be fine. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, so that whole being lost thing reminded me. So when I was over in Ireland, leaving to go back across the pond after a long trip, uh, this was maybe a year and a half ago, maybe. Uh, all the all the uh, scenarios and all the Swiss cheese holes lined up, you know, where, Ooh. okay, your passengers were late, you have slot time. Uh, yeah, and over, uh, over there, you know, no bullshit for a slot yeah. time. Yeah, there's, you know, no paperwork. It's called a CTOP, calculated takeoff time. It's the weirdest thing in the world. Right, thank you, uh, Mr. Instructor. Yeah, thanks, Webster. So, yeah. you know, there's no paperwork. Signature keeps messing everything up. We're getting pissed off. And uh, one of the things that they really try to nail home to you, and I'm sure that Spud can say even if it's just domestically, it doesn't matter. You should always have the other pilot check your shit. Oh, you absolutely. And, you know, specifically in input for the FMS, oh, yeah. you don't want Back to be going in the wrong direction. Both so, pilots always verify the route or whatever. Yeah. Well, when you have the boss man in the back and he wants to go and we have three minutes until our slot time and ATC says if you don't get off the ground in the next couple minutes, we don't know when you're going to be able to go. So are you going to go or not? Yes, of course. Oh, we're going. Because literally in Europe, for those who don't know, if you miss your slot time, it can be days before you go a week. Depending. So it's Depending like, uh, on how busy they Yeah. You're screwed if you miss your slot time. Yeah. So I'm putting all this stuff in. and Wait, no. I wasn't putting it in. The other guy was putting it in. Getting right. everything ready. You know, I'm taking care of the passengers in the back, whatever. This was before the captain. And he's putting everything in. He's in a rush. I'm in a rush. Sit down. we got like a minute and a half to get to the runway and take off. So I'm like, all right, let's go. Go, wheels up, and uh, I don't know how in-depth we need to be getting with oceanic crossings or anything like that, but you have a point that you're supposed to, that you're supposed to reach uh, at a certain altitude, and that's like the most important thing ever. So you got to be at the altitude prior to that point, and that's really basically your first point. So we take off. As soon as the wheels are up, we start to, you know, look at what we're doing. And I look down, and I notice uh, that the FMS is flashing, has a message for me. Oh, cool. Okay. It's a check fuel at destination. I'm like, uh, say what? Oh, oh. <laughs> that's not a good one. That's a bad one. That's, that's, that's a pretty bad one. That's and uh, yeah. I look up at the uh, MFD, and it's in amber, and it says zero at the destination. Oh, like, oh cool. uh, So either that's like perfect fuel calculation in terms of the exact amount of fuel to get to that point, or we've messed you up. Should. <laughs> so I look at everything, and I look at the distance, and it says something ridiculous, like 36,000 miles. I was like, what the <laughs> fuck? So, you can do that, though, right? You can do that. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you can quadruple max, you know, yeah, you can exactly. do it. So, meanwhile, so now we're climbing. The main objective now at this point is to get to our first point to coast out, to get out over the ocean at the altitude that we need to be at. Meanwhile, right. now I have to figure out the problem in the FMS. And I don't know how, again, I don't know how in-depth we need to be getting with all this, but 
when you're putting in coordinates into the FMS, specifically coordinates over the ocean, there's a very specific way of doing it. Like if you put right. an N on one side of the number versus the other side of the number, it completely messes up your entire calculation. Correct. So, right. Because uh, it, it, it changes yeah. the hemisphere of the coordinate. Yeah. So the other guy uh, put all, like, southern hemisphere coordinates. Oh, Jesus Christ. So I have to, like, rebuild this entire plan while we're doing <laughs> what we're doing and get to where we need to be going. That's great. So, lesson learned. Uh, in the meantime, <laughs> oh, I, the I meantime, will say though. Go ahead. Yeah, well, I was just in the meantime. If I remember the story from when you originally told it to me correctly, um, you took off from essentially an airport that was so close to your entry point. Yeah, you had like no time to be doing this. Like you were about to coast out. <laughs> well, no, this is literally like five hundred feet. Yeah, they're asking for your estimate for the for the next waypoint that isn't programmed correctly. Yeah, Let's just I'm say like, you did oh, really I good. Have Twelve and a half hours. Yeah, that's my entry time. <laughs> Let's right. just say you did really good at finger fucking the box in that case. Oh yeah. Yeah. So that was great. If you ever want to learn how to put in oceanic uh, clearances really quickly. That's really the scenario where you learn all of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, to be fair, though, uh, I kind of did the same thing on my actual ATP checkride. And uh, so I'm – and obviously, it, you know, it's a PIC type rating, so they're leaving – there's, like, not really too much of this cross-pilot checking shit and whatever. And so uh, I get the route, and uh, I write it down and everything. I got a full route clearance, and uh, I put it in the box. And uh said, okay, cool, good to go. And I asked the filling captain, I was like, hey, can you check this for me just real quick? And uh, he says, um, it was only from Detroit to Chicago. So he asked me, he's like, so wh- how come it's 6,000 miles to get to uh, um, Chicago? I said, um, we're going the long way around. <laughs> <laughs> we're going last. <laughs> no, by way of Anchorage. And uh, I was like, fuck, God damn it. All right, why does this have to be on my ATP checkride? And so I was like, uh, all right, whatever. So I'm like, oh, I can't figure out what I spelled wrong, so let me just redo it. I said, all right, I'm going to redo it. I redid it wrong again. <laughs> and, and I'm like, God damn it. So I do it again, three times a charm. Nope. And I'm just, I'm sitting there scratching my head, looking at the clearance I got, looking at the arrival, looking at the departure, and I'm like, what in the fuck? And the, like, I'm getting frustrated at this point, and the filling captain just kind of looks over, leans in, and can't really help me out too much. He just whispers in my ear, check your spelling. I'm like, what the fuck do you mean? <laughs> I've been checking my spelling every fucking time. And then you just get that moment of, Oh, that's what I spelled wrong. Yeah, that's yeah. always fun. <laughs> yeah, what's really fun is when you get a full route clearance and you're with it up until about seven waypoints in, and then they give you five other ones that they even, you know, they say them and they're easy to sound out. So you write them down. And right. You're putting it into the FMS, you look and it's like, oh, crap, I got something spelled wrong. Damn it. So you call up and you're like, oh, hey, Cedarboro, i got a question. Can you spell such and such a waypoint? They're like, yeah, sure, no problem. So they spell it. You're like, okay, good. We can keep moving on. 
Right. So you start putting in the next one. So the next four that you thought sounded easy, so you wrote down what you thought you sounded out. And, uh, no, the next one still screwed up, so you got to call up Steve Pro again. You're like, okay, this has to be the last one that I didn't get. Okay, here you go. Okay, have fun. And then you do more after that. You're like, can you just give me the whole route again and spell it all out? Everybody gets pissed off at you. I'm just impressed that you can do it by sounding it out. I was uh, telling uh, Brody the other day that uh, I'm fucking horrible with intersection spellings. And so, like, we were flying and there was, like, a I, I forget the intersection, but it's like you pronounce the first letter and then the rest of the intersection is the word, like, B-Web or something like this. And so they're like, Clear direct B web and I'm looking at the SMS, I'm like, What the fuck? Where's the fuck is B web? I see Bweb. But they didn't say Bweb. <laughs> it said B web. <laughs> I'm horrible at it. <laughs> well yeah, I, I had the same problem going into Philadelphia, uh, I think it was Philly Northeast. First time I ever went in there. Coming up the arrival, there there's a uh intersection called Peace Out. So the guy Gives it to me, he goes, direct to peace out. And I'm sitting there going, peace out? Is that like a new checkoff? Like, am I supposed to switch frequencies? Like, are we done? And he's like, no, 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 direct to peace out. He's like, direct to peace out. I'm like, what the hell are you trying to tell me? And he goes, Papa Sierra, Oscar Uniform Tango, peace out, direct to the intersection. I'm like, oh, peace out. I got it. <laughs> Oh my god. That's always uh, Man, did I sound like a rookie on that one though? Oh my god. I wouldn't have gotten you either, don't worry. <laughs> well well then, then for all the uh the guys flying in and out of New York, there's uh there's a Lana intersection. L A N N A Lana. There's a different spelling, L A A N A. And if you right. put in the wrong one, one is in, I don't know which country it is, but it's a few thousand miles from New York. So if you misspell it, I think I have that backwards, actually. The the one in New York is L-A-A-N-A, and the the um, other one is L-A-N-N-A. So <laughs> most people spell it with two N's because they're like, Lana, you know, like the name. Lana, right. it's got two consonants, not two vowels. But the one in New York is L-A-A-N-A, and if you screw that up, all of a sudden you <laughs> you got a heartbeat in that uh, flight plan that, that goes to about the other side of the planet. Yeah, <laughs> it screws up a lot of things very quickly. And there's also that intersection on the Philbo arrival, and for anybody listening, this is the proper way to say it. It's FUBAR. It's FUBAR on the Philbo. Damn right, it, damn not, right it is. It's not fubber. No. Who All the right. hell in a goddamn right mind would say fubber? Yeah. Oh, I've heard there was a coup. Before. There was a coup a couple of years ago where all the controllers were saying fubber. It's it's spelled F-U-B-R-R, yeah. for those who don't know. It's spelled, so people were saying fubber as, as to sort of get away from the, uh, the fuckery. For lack of a better word, <laughs> and and no pilot, aside from people who didn't actually know the name of the intersection, there was no pilot I ever heard who was Newark based who was like, yeah, direct to Fubber. Like, no, 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 no. Direct to Bar, because Newark is fucked up beyond all repair. Oh, oh, hey, oh yeah, the Newark. 
the oh, short. That's uh, right. Based off of, uh, well, so off that idea of making yourself sound out like a moron, and now um, I risk sounding like a moron myself. But anyway, so I wasn't, you know, that like radio chatter that you hear. You know, they're not calling you, so you're passively listening and not really paying too much attention. And then every right. now and then you hear something that just like switches, and you'll flip the switch in your head, you're like, what was that? <laughs> so, you know, you hear just a bunch of chatter, and you're talking to the other guy you're flying with. And I hear, uh, all of a sudden, I just hear somebody go, you're looking at the sack, not the tack. And I'm like, oh, they were talking about the icing or something. So one guy decided to be an asshole because the, the uh, air traffic controller said, all right, well, what temperature was that icing at? And apparently he gave a number that was completely off of what, like, freezing conditions would be. So the other guy just called him out on it. And then I started thinking about it. I was like, that's a good podcast-type conversation. When do you use fat and when do you use tat? Well, uh, okay. Here's the... Uh, you don't have to. I just thought it would be entertaining yeah. to talk about. Well, okay. So, um, because I'm the uh, 600 series pilot here, uh, we use sat and tat differently than every other airplane because my airplane is... Well, it's different from everything else <laughs> in almost every conceivable way. So, uh, as far as icing is concerned, we use sat. I guess we should define um, we should define sat and tat first. Yeah, okay. that's probably what um, All right. So you brought it up. So why don't you do it? Static air temperature, cold air temperature. <laughs> there you go. Right. Are you, are you going to continue? Are you going to well, so continue the lesson? Yeah, so static air temperature is essentially like the the actual temperature outside. Tat is what the airplane feels. It's it's what the the uh, the temperature is over the aircraft. So as you speed right. up, tat increases. As you slow down, tat decreases. Right. Yeah. Okay. So essentially, with uh, with the Challengers, because we're a weird airplane, we use sat on the ground. Uh, so. We turn uh, wings and cowls at minus uh, at five degrees. Yeah, we do the same. At we do we use that on the ground. It, well, it gets weird. Give it a sec. Okay, never mind. <laughs> so, uh, you know, less than five degrees, we have to have wing and cowl on. At uh, between five and ten degrees, it's just cowl. We don't have to turn the wings on. Don't have to. Okay. Should, but you don't have to for the limitations. When you get in the air. Everything is based on tat. So if we are 10 degrees tat or less, we have to wing and cowl on, assuming we're beneath 22,000 feet. Above 22,000, only an ice, only if we have the ice warning on the ICAST. But beneath 22,000, as long as it's tat 10 or less, we have to have wing and cowl on. Up until minus 40 sat, in which case everything comes off. Huh. Welcome to Challenger Land. Yeah, we just use sat on the ground and tat in the air and call it good. Because Freer knows how to build a decent jet. That's fair enough. Yeah, we just use sat or tat, or tat in the air, 10 degrees or below. And then, our, you know, my jet will just automatically do it because we have two ice detectors out on the nose. 
And so those vibrate at a certain frequency, and when they pick up ice, they, vib they vibrate at a different frequency. And so that just triggers the whole sub-chain reaction to open up all the wing anti-ice valves and the cow anti-ice valves. And uh, so it does it automatically. But however, if you suspect it, it's not working properly, you have to manually do it if the tat in the air is 10 degrees or below, and there's a certain criteria for, you know, whatever you're flying in. By the way, the ice detectors work the same on every single airplane. It's a small probe, vibrates, well, yeah. changes frequency. That's fair. That's yeah. Fair. Yeah. Yeah, I should clarify that. That's not just on my jet. It's on. Yeah, that's yeah. that's all. That's how like mine has works, a, folks. Mine isn't smart enough to turn on the ice, though. It's like, hey, we're icing up. You might want to do something about it. <laughs> but it won't do anything for me. <laughs> is yours uh, the same way there, Gerd? Is mm -hmm. the Challenger series? Yep. Yeah, this, like I said, there's no whole lot to talk about. I just thought it was interesting to talk about that. But... Oh, yeah. That's not <laughs> something a lot of people talk about. Well, because it, it's, it's kind of the same as, or, or under the same idea as differences in airspeed. So you can have indicated versus ground versus true versus... Equivalent. You know, uh, equivalent, yeah, for those of us who can get that 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 crazy fast. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just not any of us. <laughs> None of us get fast enough to use equivalent, but... <laughs> you don't know like, that. Oh, if you're getting no, fast... You actually, fast, do, you're, know, you actually <laughs> do know that. Y'all are going to talk before you get fast enough to use no, equivalent airspeed. That's very true. It's hey. uh, very true. All right. So I just came across this article. This was published today. Okay. World's first airport with completely remote ATC just opened. What? Yeah. What? That's why I clicked on it. Where the fuck so is that? So this is in Sweden, Scandinavia. Or Sweden, yeah, Scandinavia Mountains Airport. Let me say, I love Sweden, by the way, but Shut up. it would be Sweden to open that airport. <laughs> It would be. So this week, it's received its first international flight, so a unique airport experience. So it says there's always been something special about the juxtaposition of something uh, old against new, yada, yada, yada. Inside the airport, designers have applied some of the latest technology. Uh, these scanners apparently don't make you remove liquid or anything like that, and you just pass through a metal detector. So there's that. But not only that, but this is the first airport in the world to be built without an air traffic control tower. Instead, the ATC management conducted from an air, from a location 350 kilometers to the east. The remote tower monitors the airport with 17 wide-angle cameras, giving the operators in Sundsvall precision control. Literally, uh, some dude in his boxer shorts on his couch. You're literally he has just boxer shorts on. <laughs> just going, hey, little lamp. Uh, I don't, I don't so, know if I, I like that I, though. Despite all of this high-level wizardry, some things are still very much keeping in tradition. Some of the nearby resorts are most easily accessible, not by bus or car, but instead with a dog sled or snowmobile. <laughs> but you're, but you're looking at the airport through cameras. You can't figure out how to clear your roads properly. But I got a question, question though. It, it, it is Sweden. And it has a tendency to snow there a lot. Uh, what happens if you don't know? What happens if the cameras are obscured? Yeah, like there's know. like like RVR like I don't know, you know, eighteen hundred 
You're not going to see somebody on like a five mile final. I don't. Or there's know. just that much fucking snow on the on the camera. Or I don't know no, much about. No. <laughs> hey, what about I like? Didn't give any answers. Your day. <laughs> you brought it up. I'm just reading the article, bro. I just saw it today for the first time. <laughs> that's, that's pretty crazy. Honestly, though, um, I honestly think that before my career is over, we will probably see single pilot cockpits and CPDLC being the mandated in route. Kind of like uh, how ADSB is uh, going to be mandated here in the next uh, what two days? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So instead of uh, in route, I, I can honestly see us going to completely CPDLC before my career is over, which is in the next day. I don't know that, dude. I can go either way. I can completely see it going in that direction, but at the same time, until – well, I guess that's what you'd have to really start to do the math on because take everybody who would – let's just call them uh, – what do you think the oldest age is, generally speaking? that is going to be the age that will accept basically all types of new technology? 40? 30? At, um, at, the, at, the current year, at the current year, I'd say, yeah, about 40, 45. Okay, yeah. so let's just say 45-year-olds. All right, so how would that work out? So you would need everybody older than the age of 45, basically, to not be on board as of now for all that to happen. So that's another what? Just uh, 30 years? So, yeah, that but, could be. By the time I don't know. You also... Well, what I'm that. getting at is it's the fact that people are going to have they're going to have a lot of pushback. They're going to be like, "I am not flying on an airplane with no people. I'm not flying or one pilot or no pilot. It's not happening. Right. I'm not doing." Yeah, that, that, that's why I say single pilot. I mean, we get to single pilot. I don't think we'll get well, to no pilot. Even still, though, I don't really think the. I mean, because you take the amount of people who are actually comfortable with flying to begin with is not that many people, and like, so then you I, take that small amount of people who are. They'd be like, wait, this is going to be just have one pilot? No, no, I'm not doing that. Part. Right. And not only that is it's not just, like, pushback from, like, inside the aviation community, but it's, like, people like um, with Colgan, how the families of Colgan dictated that whole ATP thing, and then, we had, boom, we had the 1,500-hour rule. Like, you're also convincing, you know, groups like that to where, you know, you know, victims of the crash and whatnot and their families that, hey, you know, we couldn't do it with two pilots, so we're going to do it with one now. Yeah, that's what I mean. Is There would have to be something pretty drastic in terms of – and that's my biggest argument. The general public, first off, would have to be willing to accept it. Because if they're not willing to accept it, they're not going to go on the plane, and then obviously you're not going to have an industry anymore. But then right. you're also going to have what? to have something come along that I, – I just – I don't think that it would be a thing. Well, I think we, we need to see, like, self-driving cars – and main, you know, mainstream, like everybody doing that before we even, you know, go. Well, up I think that would be airplane. the start of acceptance, but it right. definitely still would not be. I mean, statistically speaking, even still, even if you have controlled cars like that, you have so many of them. The accident rate is going to be somewhat reflective to what it is now, relatively speaking. Even if you have completely remote airplanes on that same note, just because right. of the amount, the sheer density of those automobiles going around. So, well, I don't know, dude. Let me, put it to you. let me let me put it to you another way, especially with the Colgan thing, because that's a really good analogy. So, Colgan was the catalyst to the 1500-hour rule. How long did we fly with commercial pilots at less than 1500 hours as first officers before that happened? Yeah. I mean, it was 
40, 50. I mean, you could even probably put it at 60 if you really did the math out. I was like, this is getting a time with aviation. Exactly. Exactly. So until there was a major accident, and let's let's be honest, um, the Colgan accident had nothing to do with the amount of experience in the cockpit. You had a captain who had more than 4,000 hours. You had an FO who had almost 2,500 hours. There was nobody with less than 1,500 hours experience in that cockpit. Both, both of them had ATPs, too, I think, too. Right. The other... No. Uh, the FO had a commercial license because uh, back then, only captains got the ATP. It was just a cost-saving thing for the airline. But... Um, so, but my my point being here is that the whole reason that that rule came about had nothing to do with what was actually in the cockpit, and it had a lot more to do with not just the families of 3407. It also had to do with Sullenberger being, you know, we need more experience. Even though in his cockpit he had what, yeah, what? thirty thousand hours of experience at the at the low right. estimate, maybe probably more, probably more, probably probably in the fifty thousand hour range, like something crazy. Very true. So there, there were, in both accidents, there was nothing but experience, or there, there wasn't an inadequate, as defined by the 1,500-hour rule, amount of experience in the cockpit. Right. So, okay, so, all it, so if you have a pilotless or a single pilot cockpit that has a proven track record, my point being, nobody's really, I think, going to have any real issue with it. Until there's some sort of accident that's catalyst for it. Well, then I guess so, my next question would be that what would be the accident based off of that ideology? Certainly, there's been enough fucking accident to have yeah. some sort of um, claim to be that we should just have computers flying these airplanes. We don't have any of that. The biggest thing limiting that is we don't have the technology, as far as I'm aware, that that is available that can take the pilots out of the cockpit yet. Yeah, I don't think, yeah, you, you can't take them all the way Right. I, I don't think you can really with the technology well, for it. I don't think. That's what I'm getting at is, even if you don't take them all the way out, you just have one. Well, now you have yeah. 50% less brain power in there. That's what I'm saying, because the biggest thing that you can't take out of, like, like, that you can't put into a computer is the, like, human aspect decision-making process with that. For sure. Yeah, like, I'm not cool. all of it. But this is all pilots talking about pilot or single pilot cockpit. I agree with all of that from a CRM perspective. It's it's a really bad idea. Okay, right. But you, you know, okay. but you know that FedEx, UPS, or anybody who can put a single pilot in that cockpit absolutely will. And one of the few reasons that, are, that will hold people back from that probably is the regulation on a lot of these that you need two pilots in the cockpit. Right. There's a, even look at, um, I mean, this is probably a pretty poor example, but even Clay Lacey, the, you know, the legend who essentially is, is part of the reason that the Learjet is what it is today because he was such a big... Yeah. Uh, is he on the, the and, airplane repo show? I don't think so. I mean, maybe he was. I, I, I didn't see the episode, but he wasn't a regular if he was. Um, now, Clint Lacey partnered with uh, Bill Lear to grow the Learjet and grow the uh, private jet industry. It's is very well built on uh, Bill Lear and Clay Lacey. Hey, get hey together. stop for a second. What? Hold on. Okay, we have a uh, milestone uh, currently. We have our first special guest speaker. We, oh, what? Okay. 
Okay, so we're talking about this, and we'll not mention it right now because we want to introduce him to it in a second. But this is my dad. Okay, howdy. And Hello. and uh, hey, hey. I thought it would be interesting to hear a non-pilot's perspective. Oh. What he thinks about what we were talking about. Oh, that's, that's a great idea. So Brody, why don't you uh, lay the lay the stage there? Given given the scenario here. Uh, so what we were we were discussing is. The idea that within my career, so within the next 35 to 40 years, we're going to see single pilot at minimum cockpits. So we're actually going to take a pilot out of the cockpit. It's only going to be one guy up there flying the airplane with the aid of computers. So I guess what we're looking for is your perspective on how would you feel about getting into an airplane with one guy sitting up front with a bunch of computers. Or no computer or no guy. Or no guys. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or, I'd want to know the computers are qualified. <laughs> is, that a, is that a dad joke? <laughs> <laughs> do, do you want to see a college degree from them? <laughs> <laughs> or do you do you want to know the programmer's pedigree or, or <laughs> Well, whatever's going to make, the, make it work. I sure don't want a computer that's going to go offline in the middle of a flight. Well, I guess that's the question true. really is, is, are you somebody that needs the feeling of, I have two competent pilots up there. I don't want any sort of, uh, I don't want a computer depend, um, basically like, deciding the like, safety of the, of the flight. Or do you care? Like if the airplane gets there, do you really care what's up there? No, I like the human element. I like uh, I like to know that there are two people that are qualified and one can take over if there's a problem. I don't know if the computer can sense that or has that human element. So I like I so like I, I agree with you. I agree with you. My question is 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 why why do you like the human element versus the computer? Because I don't know any better. That's what I'm saying. See, there's too many variables for a computer to compute to come up with because it's always a computer's always zeros and ones. So it's going to see an input and then it's going to just give a linear output to where a human mind can take in lots and lots of inputs and maybe just change his decision, you know, to fit that those inputs, you know, suitably. <laughs> I feel like I'm just going to play devil advocate the whole night because. Let, how many how many quick. how many crashes how many crashes are pilot error? Yeah, we know. Okay, yeah, how we all know all of that. How many are saved that. due to pilot in, intuition? That's and, true. And knowledge and experience more than you. Unfortunately, unfortunately, yeah, we don't know you that. Know that no, yeah, you wouldn't know that no, number. I mean, it's not quantitative. You wouldn't. You can't really. So technically, it's infinity. So that I think they go to pilot error by default. <laughs> myself. Well, we don't know well, because pilot error. It is the most common. Well, let me contradict myself for a second because because I feel like I've been arguing for like the side that I really don't agree with this whole time. But I can't tell you how many you times I've been going. Yeah, I know. Unfortunately, <laughs> you put yourself in that predicament. <laughs> but I can't tell you how many times I fly the airplane and I actually get to a point where I turn all the computers off, more or less, or at least the computers associated with the flying of the airplane, the autopilot, and, and, and that kind of stuff, like I, I, the flight director and all that, I just turn that off because you get cleared for the visual at 6,000 feet, on a, you know, you're two miles from the runway, laterally, they clear you for, at 6,000 feet, and they clear you for the visual, and you're like, 
computer doesn't know what to do with that. No. It has no idea how to figure out how to get to the runway from there unless you put it in a different position. So turn it off. Do it yourself. Well, yeah, here's an absolutely. interesting idea, too, that I hadn't really ever thought about either, but you have all these children of magenta now. And That's very true. Without even really noticing it, the airplanes are increasingly going to more uh, strictly computer control, whether it's the computer doing it itself or the pilot telling the computer what to do because the pilots are scared to be doing it anyway. So uh, all yeah, these more recently with pilots who they know something's wrong, but they're too afraid to disengage all the automation because yeah, they don't they're, they're, know they were, how to handle it. So since I'm, I have a pretty fresh perspective since I just went through the airline training. Right now, their, their big thing, at least at my company, is one thing they always said is they always said, Solve an automation problem with less automation. That was a saying that was said to me at, like throughout all of my training. Where it solves the problem like by getting rid of the automation. That's something you know because what a lot of people do is you know they get on these like visual approaches, like say going into LaGuardia where you have the expressway visual, and they try to program the autopilot, you know, to fly it all the way down for them. Instead of just clicking it off and just hand flying in the center, right. just doing a downwind to base to, you know, final. Well, I, I guess what I'm saying on that is whether people know it or not, and even these airplanes that people know that something is wrong, they're too afraid to disengage it, the automation is still crashing the airplane. Even though the pilot's trying to not, it's still the automation crashing sure. because the pilots are putting bad in- information in and you're getting bad information out. So right. as these years go by, it's actually more and more that the pilot error is kind of having a middleman between the airplane and the pilot itself, and it's still the automation. So as time goes on, I think it, it might get to the point where it's like, okay, well, these guys still won't disengage the autopilot, so why are we going to have airplanes that you can disengage the autopilot anyway? Just leave it on the right. entire time. And then you're going to have situations so you, like Airbus where they're like, uh, yeah, we already kind of do that. Don't The airplane knows that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Which, so in that case, would they almost reprogram the airspace system to accommodate the automation uh, rather well, than I mean, real like, quick? Talking like forgot like, that we had a gun. Oh yeah, that's yes. being very rude. Information. <laughs> We're being bad. And the passenger is somebody that's not a an aviation. Uh, guru, that's probably why we are only allowed to look out the side windows of an airplane and not out front. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we, don't, we don't get the visual. Unfortunately, that that's actually a, a, a security more issue than it is. So you come over to uh, 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 Gerd's and my side of the industry, passengers see whatever whatever we're doing, they watch us take the airplane in on a 30-knot crosswind and, and you know, fight to get that thing uh, on the runway smoothly. Right. That's the TSA thing. That we got to shut the door for, you know, security reasons and whatnot. Well, hold on. Hold on, Spud. Uh, you're supposed to, but also you want to. Let's be honest. That's I don't actually very true. That's one nice thing about my job too is uh, <laughs> if I piss off you know any of the people or make a really crappy landing, I don't have to see the people. 
in the back. I'll just keep it closed until uh, they all deplane, and I'll go do my closing. <laughs> bye bye. <laughs> I don't well, want to see so, what you guys are, what you Pete were seeing because it would scare the crap out of me. So I'm better off just <laughs> putting my little thing. I, I get to watch a little. Uh, uh, Ignorance little plane, bliss. A, little plane on a screen that just tells me every once in a while how far I am. And nothing, nothing really changes. <laughs> I'm landing in the well, So, so my my dad actually had a really great experience. Ignorance is bliss as a passenger. Well, that's like the Ron White skit. <laughs> Guy looks at him and goes, "Hey, if one of these engines fails, how far do you think the other one will take us?" <laughs> All the way to the scene of the crash. <laughs> that will be the paramedics in the 20 minutes. That's true. My, my dad had a, had a really great experience to, to kind of go along with it. He uh, he landed in Philadelphia on a regional airline, and uh, it was a pretty terrible landing. In, in fact, they bounced it about three or four times. And uh, got current. <laughs> the taxi to the gate, the... Uh, Captain comes out of the PA. Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome, welcome to uh, Philadelphia International Airport. We're going to be parking in case I have 24 today. On the way out, I just want to let you know that was the first officer's first attempt at landing the aircraft. On the way out, we will be taking a survey on which landing you like best. Number one, two, or three. You just let us know. Again, thank you for flying Speed Tape Airlines, and uh, we'll see you on the next flight. <laughs> Oh man, <laughs> that was pretty good. Genius. <laughs> so, Dad, which is a great way to save a horrible landing. Yeah, no kidding. Dad, you don't you don't have to stand if you don't want to because I know that the, a lot of talking, a lot of shit oh, wagging no. going on from this side of the fence. But is there anything that you uh, input or uh, questions about or like to comment on, or you can just hang up the phone and uh, you know. <laughs> Yeah, I'm actually curious. Is it like a is it like a burning question? Now I know that you've known us for years and you've heard our stories, but is there like a burning question you have about the industry or Ooh, what yeah. we do? Or just comments about the industry? I love it. I hate it. I love yeah. it. So yeah. Well, what prompted you to go into the uh, airline industry or to become a pilot? I mean, I've heard in the past, you know, it's it's fun. You guys got trained and everything else, but there's got to be a driving factor for all of you. Is it just being up in the air? Is it the control? Is it the, uh, you know, just the complicated Gerd on that one. Start with Gerd on that one, since it's your dad. Yeah. <laughs> but I used to find you up on the roof of the uh, of the house just sitting up there because you like being elevated. So uh, that might have been a, just a, a driving force for you. I think a lot it. of things, and this is a your very... First time you, your first time you took a, a flight, you were, you know, we always thought... <clears throat> You were so excited when we were going somewhere, you know, you were getting sick to your stomach, but we thought you didn't like it because you were afraid. But come to find out, you were just so excited about what you were doing, and which, you know, this is probably not everybody's experience, but you loved it so much. You couldn't wait, and uh, you couldn't control your stomach because you were so I think probably so much like fun. The, the biggest, story. Stroke, biggest stroke I could make. The broad stroke with a paintbrush, so to speak, on answering that question is, and it kind of goes in every other aspect of my life, is aviation is uh, always a challenge, and you never know what's coming. So metaphorically speaking, I always like to be pushing you know, that stone up the hill. But it doesn't matter what it is. I can't go to one place knowing what I'm going to be doing for the next 20, 30 years of my life. I always want to go 
somewhere and be like, I don't know what's going to happen, and it's going to test me, and it's going to be hilarious. Right. As far as I know. I'm more envious of you having an office up at a, up at a plane than I did on the ground. So. Well, that's the other thing, too, is I can, I can screw up. I don't have maintenance looking or maintenance management looking over my shoulder all the time. I can leave. Bye bye. That's true. It's a very individual centric. Like you have to be able to work on your own. You, yeah, yeah that's you can't be able to look at that over your shoulder all the time. And even uh, I don't know. This, this is just me making an assumption though. But uh, on my side of the industry, compared to you guys. I really don't see anybody in management. I just get a call that I'm flying, and I don't see anybody. Like, you guys probably meet, like, your director of ops and everything. I met him, like, one time in training. Well, you got Brody, who operates out of the same building, which I used to do for years. So he's in right. management yeah. all the time. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I, I, I don't mean in a different pilot. I, <laughs> yeah, so. I, I don't manage them on the first name basis. <laughs> I see them every time I go to work, essentially. Hey, oh, Bobo! I, <laughs> I don't actually not see them, and it, it, it's pretty hard because to check my mailbox, I have to walk right by the chief pilot and the director of ops, so I kind of have to God. say hi. Tell them that to a 121 guy just makes his back chill up and down. <laughs> I, it's, it's good that I actually have a decent relationship with both of them, so it's, it's actually not oh, yeah. too bad. It, it is awkward, though, when my director of operations doesn't know what I'm doing for the day. Because <laughs> we have a big enough operation, he doesn't know, but still. Pop up. Yes. So, when it comes to going on a flight, what's the most nerve-wracking part? Is it the paying for it? Is it the packing the night before, thinking about everything? Is it the rush to the airport as you get there? Is TSA with your freaking dick beater fingers touching you all the time trying to mm. look through all your stuff is it the flight itself is it the sitting at the gate with everybody who stands up at the same time even though there's no place oh to go gosh. yeah no it's it's wondering whether or not i'm going to have any room in the overhead compartment oh yes 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 it is 100% <laughs> really <laughs> Okay, and this just comes from a passenger. I don't fly on that side. When you get on the airplane and you're walking down the aisle, throw your bag in the first chance that you get, and just remember the aisle number. No, I've learned to accept the fact that you know I'm pretty trustworthy that the people that are going to be getting me from point A to point B. Quick side note: I'm surprised at that because you know who you're talking to. Sure, I do. We're idiots. I hope, jeez, I hope not. That doesn't that doesn't make me feel any better. Let me let me re, recalculate my uh, which is the worst part of the flight. Maybe it's whether I know that the pilots are capable. So I'll there's a difference back. between it's not the overhead compartment, it's the capability of the pilots. There's a difference between being uh, children and being capable. Children can be That's capable. True. That's true. Well, We're still children. Know, capable of a lot of stuff too. It's scary. Be handy capable. Yeah. But I've learned the way around some of the luggage stuff, but you know, that's that's for me that's the most stressful. You know, you, you prepare everything, I'm packed the day before, I'm ready to go, I get to the I get to the airport and then you know, you gotta go through the inevitable delays and, and so forth. Something's delayed. Well I guess delayed. that's why I asked, is because I know that every night those needing a little bit of assistance you're, you watch everybody you get on before you. Don't you. Sleep. 
Well, I'm not worried about getting from point A to point B. I'm just worried about the hassle. It's really, it's really tough because we don't get to just walk through and get on the plane. We have to go through all of the, all of the, uh, you know, little nonsense that passengers have to go through. So, right. But you can't, uh, you can't eliminate that's, that. That's fine. Well, let's be honest. You know, most of that stuff actually makes it more worth it to drive. You know, you get these little regional flights that yeah. if Let's be honest, if the, if the Ironlines didn't have a hub-and-spoke system, if you had to get from, I don't know, let's say New York City to Philadelphia, would you actually get on an airplane or would you just fucking drive? Drive because or to drive? Because I'm in control. Yeah, I'm well, not, not only that, I'm not only just being on the plane. Not, not, not even that, but, like, let's say, let's say you have to go from Kennedy. You have to go to the airport. Like you said, you have to fight through... The security. You have to fight fight through all the people to get your bag checked, or you know whatever you have to do with the with the ticket counter there. Then you have to get through security, and then you have to get through the other side, and then you have to wait to board. And you may or may not get your bag on the airplane, and and that's that's actually like a big deal because if you don't get your plane your your bag on, then you have to check it. It goes to you know baggage claim, which is another 30-minute wait sometimes, depending on the airport that you're at. By the time you right. do all that stuff, it's faster to drive. Yeah, yeah. watch the carousel go around and around and know that your your bag never made it. It's just gone. You don't know where it went. Right. It goes. Like, you're, you're the last minute, you know, you're the last person to check a bag. It doesn't make the flight for, let's just say, even weight and balance reasons. <laughs> Right. You're sitting there with everything going around and one lonely minimum wage nineteen year old employee looking at you going, Hey man, is your bag not here? It's kinda of like a grocery store no. where they have now these checkout lines where you get to go ahead and run through everything yourself. You know, you get to, to uh swipe everything, oh, right. you get to pay the money and everything else and then uh you get done you realize, well, maybe I should have got a discount. I'm doing it all anyway, so what's the difference? Right. You didn't know you were working that day. They didn't put you on the schedule. They didn't call you in. No, they didn't. And mm. I don't get anything for it other than people. My favorite part get, is that. They're getting paid watching me do okay. the work. So that's kind of like well, checking your own bag and so forth and so on. I don't know when this started, but. I love that analogy. When did, when did it start that these these people who were taking your bag now are not technically employed by the company anymore? They're just like airport employees that take your bag. They don't actually work at the airline. That depends on, on that depends on the airport on some of them because a lot of them like if you go into like the bigger ones like if, like in Newark it is going to and you're flying like you like a United Tail or whatever it's going to be United employees. But like a lot of the because I know like down uh, don't quote me on this but like in Sarasota I think or something like that again don't quote me on this but um, some of the places it is just like contract work. Or even, I don't know, Asheville, oh, yeah. Asheville Regional Airport, it's all contract. It's not, uh, yeah. at least I know, like the fueling and all that kind of stuff, you know, a lot of the work is contract. Yeah, it, it, because it became cheaper to contract the work than to hire your own employees. That, I mean, that's the whole basis why regional airlines exist, is the idea that it was cheaper to contract the work out, the, the, the work that doesn't really make all that much money, we'll contract that out, and then we'll make the, you know we'll keep the routes that actually make us money, and that way overall, you know we we that's where fee for departure came in, right? You know, we have flat fee 
you don't have to worry about selling the well you do have to worry about selling the seeds but at the same time you you know that you're only paying x amount for for that particular flight and it, it saves right. them money in the long run that's above my pay grade. It, that, that's all it comes down to is how much. It, it's how much money can you save? That that's really the end of the line. Is they realize that those Milwaukee to Chicago runs make them no money, but they can pay another airline a certain amount of money, and they'll they'll get by, but it'll be razor thin, and we'll pay them to do that, so we don't have to have that headache. Right. Hmm. Anyway, pop pop. Well, I appreciate the opportunity as a non-professional to be in on the discussion. Well, we appreciate you'll, you'll, uh, your input. You'll, you'll be a return special guest. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. I, have an, I, hope so. I, always, I always have an opinion. You'll have to uh, come up with your own call sign, not pop, pop, or dad. <laughs> All right. Well, you guys work on that and let me know. All right. Well, when anyway. I got on the phone with these guys, I'll call you back. All right. Happy trails. Happy trails. Bye bye. Bye bye. Take care. Right. Well, there you have it. Right, well, our first Pauline guest. There you go. Wow, we're really making a big on our second episode. Right. So, 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 so real quick, I know we're running. At, yeah, I don't know what time. Just, we're actually just running one here. Just... Okay. So, I, I have a story. I've, I've literally been saving for the podcast. Oh God! Here we go. Here we go. Let me wait. Do I need to go pop some popcorn real quick? No, it's not a long story. It's just that, well, I enjoyed it. So, uh, at the start of what Charter Pilots, or at least in my company, Charter Pilots called Hell Week, this whole week between Christmas and New Year's, uh, we had a flight to Barbados. So we land in Barbados. We're, We're doing our thing. We're fueling up, and we actually have to go right back northbound. So, we're getting fuel and we're doing the whole the whole rigmarole of trying to get in and out of international destinations and uh we complete that fairly quickly. We get up in the air and and the guy who's uh me and the guy I, I work with just a backstory, me and the guy I I work with, we trade back and forth captain duties and he was captain for this run, so he got to talk to the ground crew while I dealt with the airplane. He goes, I need to tell you a story. I'm like Oh awesome. Because Mr. T, the guy that I follow, Mr. T's stories are generally fantastic. He doesn't really tell me little bullshit stories. He gets some fun ones. And uh, he goes, I'm standing there with the uh, handler, and he pulls out his cell phone, and he shows me a video. Okay. What was the video of? Because <laughs> there's a cargo operator on the field that flies metros. Okay. Well, this guy had some uh, fueling issues. Okay. Well, he needed to balance his tanks, but apparently in the metro, and I'm not a type of metro pilot, I have no idea about the metro systems, but apparently in the metro, there's no way to pump from wing to wing. So he wasn't, so he had a fuel imbalance that was too great, I would assume, for him to take off. And he had no way of getting from one wing to another other than adding fuel, which, again, I'm assuming here, but, you know, a normal pilot would just look at that and be like, well, add fuel to the wing that's light, 
I'm assuming that adding fuel would actually put him over landing weight. Again, assumption. But this is what he did to remedy the issue is he took the airplane and uh, locked up the right side brake, added a generous amount of power to the left side engine, and spun the airplane <laughs> on the ramp so that the centrifugal force would push this guy's the fuel <laughs> to the lighter side of the aircraft. <laughs> Once he was done, he just called ground, took the fuck off. What? This guy's a fucking legend. <laughs> well, there's that. <laughs> oh. That's awesome. I don't actually know what to say to that. Like, uh, well, your, your lack of words is saying a lot. Okay, fair There's always a way. All right. So, um, especially Dude, in, in the week. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. But <laughs> so especially in the week that I that I seem to find myself between that Christmas and New Year's craziness. Yeah, I'm trying to wrap I've my come up with a new. I'm not quite sure what that is. <laughs> well, I've come up with a new saying, and and this was maybe a catalyst to that. Is that when when you're sitting in the middle of a circus, you gotta laugh at the clowns. Yeah, fair enough. Whether it's dispatch or anybody else, this guy was definitely a clown, and it was hilarious. <laughs> uh, you, always, you always have to laugh about your circumstances. I feel like that's a big attribute you have to have as a pilot because. Obviously, things are going to be uh, really shitty, you know, at points. And uh, if you have a sense of humor about it, it makes things, like, a hundred times better. Oh, for oh, sure. This, this, job. It is any job, but um, th- this is actually something um, we were talking about, actually, a, a little bit earlier, is, uh, you know, before the podcast, is... Uh, one one of the things about this particular job is you get blown. It, it, it really does get blown up to be this amazing, um, you know, the Top Gun kind of look, oh, you know, right, top down. Right. You know, you're looking at it, you know, like this, this, you know, everything about this job is fucking amazing. You fly shit out jets. You get to go to cool places. You get to meet cool people. All this stuff, and a lot of the stuff that we complain about has has really nothing to do with flying the jet. I mean, unless you fly a really shitty airplane, nine times right. out of ten, you're really going to enjoy that aspect of the job, and that's really what you signed up for is you watch Top Gun, he goes, I'm going to hit the brakes, fly right by, pulls the nose up, actually hits the, you know, pulls the throttle to nothing, which any good pilot will know is dangerous as shit. Right. <laughs> but, you know, it works, whatever. He does his thing, and you're like, I want to do that. And, um, you know, one of the things uh, we're, we're talking about is uh, I love flying the jet. I, I love everything about it. It, it, especially the jet that I fly. There's some really challenging aspects to, to operating the aircraft. It does some really stupid things. It does some really cool things. But it's it's uh, in the end, it's a very... Um, very cool aspect to be able to fly the jet 600 miles off the shore in four hours. You're in from New England to the 
bottom of the Caribbean island chain. It's it's very, very cool. It's very, very fun. And then you have, you land at your destination, and this is the part that really sucks and the part that creates all the stories and the and the things that, that really suck about the job is it takes two and a half hours to get the airplane landed, shut down, clear customs, and deal with all the nonsense that goes along with flying internationally. It's just, it's just it, and, it, you know, shit happens domestically too, but especially internationally with certain co- countries that maybe aren't as developed as they should be. Things take a long time. <laughs> right. Gerd, I'm sure, has better stories than I do. He's flown to far more places that are not great places to land high-tech jets in. (laughs) You're really not supposed to fly to the places that Gerd has been to, Uh, especially airports. Like, if you go to a specific country, nine times out of ten, you land at the, the, the big airport. So if you fly to... El Salvador, you land in Quito, you know, which is pretty well maintained. It's a very upscale, very nice airport. It has major airline service from all parts of the world. It's pretty well updated. Well, right. then you go to like this tiny little executive airport that's like 30 miles west of there. <laughs> and you go, for the record, I don't know if there's actually an airport that fits this description, but just for the sake of of uh, of uh, the description, you, know, you fly there, and they're not nearly as updated. <laughs> you know, there's no island. There's no lighting system. There's no tower. There's no ANUS. There's no. There may not even be an AWOS. There's just, just hey, go and land. Uh, <laughs> if, if I remember the story correctly, Gerd, there is a contact tower. Best of luck. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs> radar contact is... You are hard IMC radar contact terminated, or radar radar services terminated. Best of luck to you. <laughs> you know, see... So oh, man. They are retarded. But, uh... <laughs> But yeah, you know, you, you get uh, you know you get the opportunity to fly the airplane, and you get you get to do all this shit, and it, it's awesome. It is a ton of fun. You're doing visual approaches. There's lots of mountains. There's lots of bullshit to deal with. It's awesome. And then you land, and you're hit with this, especially on the charter corporate side, you're hit with this face first of all the shit you didn't want to deal with or didn't care about, and it's customs and it's. Uh, you know, the passenger's car has arrived. Getting a van to the hotel. Or, or like, yeah, like yesterday I I landed at an airport in the Northeast and the rental car didn't show up because nobody is there to staff the rental cars on the weekends. So I'm on a min-rest overnight and my rental car isn't there and I'm at an executive airport that really, let's be honest, nobody fucking knows about at all, <laughs> unless they're pilots or Air National Guard pilots, they don't know what exists. So you call for, like, I guess Uber might work because it has GPS, but you, know, you call the the hotel shuttle, and they're like, where are you? Are you, at, you know, are you at the, the major international? No, 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 I'm at this other one. Where's that? 
where uh, oh, yeah. everybody makes fun of Michael. Right up until everybody else in the restaurant is making fun of Michael, and it's like, whoa, whoa, wait, wait, wait. He's our idiot. He's not your idiot. You can't make fun of him. <laughs> it's exactly, It's like, listen, I can complain because I'm in the industry, and I know the, the hardships of it. No, 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 no. <laughs> you haven't flown the $4 million limo. You, you don't know the crap that we go through, so... Yeah, no. <laughs> 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 Kurt just comes in in the middle of the whole thing. Fuck this. <laughs> Don't ever do it. Stupid. I hate you. Fucking laugh. <laughs> nah, just you, have, you have to forgive Gerd. Uh, he's oh. having a little under the weather. Uh, Not only that, but I want, I want to put it. I want to put in perspective, um, Gerd, out of the three of us, he flies the least. That's true. He must have fly too much. <laughs> if you fly too much, then I fly an insane amount and shouldn't be alive. Well, that, that, that uh, is, that that is, that is that it, so much that it would, it, it would physically kill me. Then you should come over to the 121 side. I need that Joe Rogan setup where we could then pan to the screen right now and we could fly to where. Just see all the nonsense. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Bring that shit up. Let's look at that. (laughs) While we're on the subject there, Mr. Potato, (laughs) technically speaking, I fly more than you right now, too. Okay, well, I'm on reserve, and on reserve, you don't break guarantees. <laughs> All right? That's the shit. And, uh. Which sucks for you because you get paid by the hour. I'm paid on salary. You want to switch? Um, uh, no, just because when I go over guarantee, <laughs> and you can't pick up red trips or red flag trips. I no, can't. no, I can't. No, I yeah. can't. That's why so, I can fly 80 hours into 80 hours. Okay, no, I, t- I take it back. Um, my schedule as it stands right now, in two weeks, I will fly 70 hours flight time, not block time. Flight time. Flight time, 70 hours. So, that means, um, put this in perspective here, uh, Spud, you would, you're guaranteed 75, right? Yeah, I'm guaranteed 75. That means in the first half of the month, you would have made almost guarantee, which means that in two weeks, everything that you do above that would be on top of guarantee. Over, which is so nice. Over guarantee. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So, <laughs> I'm essentially on an airline schedule at this point. Yeah, no kidding. You're, you're an average line holder. No, well, I don't know, average line With, holder. I know a buddy, actually all my buddies who are line holders. And hopefully I'll be a line holder here in the next couple months. But uh, they, I think when I was talking to my one buddy, what does he have for, he's blocking, his line for January is block of 97 hours for the month. Which is pretty good. Well, so, uh, so this actually brings up an interesting conversation. Um, I might be doing the airline pilot uh, well, flight time schedule. Right. But my responsibilities, I'm gonna are double that of an airline pilot. Well, yeah, that's true. Because all we do is show up, read the release, put it in the box, close the door, and go. Yeah. Uh, 
I have to worry about the overflight permits for, you know, Cuba or Venezuela or, you know, name the country that requires you to pay to overfly. I need a permit for it, and I'm the one that's responsible for getting that stuff. Uh, or, or at least reminding dispatch because they can't seem to get their act together, even though my jet's doing more than, I don't know, everybody else on the certificate. Um, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> I'm responsible for filing the flight plans. I'm responsible for uh, figuring out my fuel loads. I'm responsible for um, the uh, the weight and balance of the aircraft, for loading the aircraft. Uh, I don't have wrappers that can load the aircraft for me. I have to do that myself. Granted, I don't have 50 passengers. So what you're saying is if you don't want to work for, like, if you want to fly for the least amount of work, come over to the 121 side. <laughs> um, you know what? Uh, having worked on the 121 side myself, I would say if you don't want extra work, go to the 121. If you want to be immersed in the every aspect of the flight, from the loading to the planning to the weather to the, you name it, the PIC is involved. Even the SIC is involved 99% of the time. Right. If you want to be fully immersed in the flight, come over to the 135 side because we do literally everything. In the 121 side, you have dispatchers. They are legal dispatchers. They are paid, qualified. Yeah, they have they FAA certificates. They hold an FAA dispatcher license. In the 135 side, we don't have dispatchers. We might have one in the office. Everybody else is a flight follower, which means that they are good for one thing. Nothing. Looking at flight away. They can take and record the out and off times. That's it. (laughs) That's good for anything else. Literally, I've had phone conversations, especially in the night crew, because the actual dispatchers work today. The night crews, they'll call up, hey, I got this issue. Great. i got to make a phone call. What do you say you do here? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. On that note... I think we're going to come to a close unless you guys have something else to say. No, no. I can keep going, but I'm good. Well, we got to save some. Yeah, we got to save some for more podcasts. Yeah. Uh, fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. Well, you guys stay on if you can still hear me. I don't know if you can still hear me. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. We'll say bye bye. All right. Well, well don't hang up. We're going to hang up with the Google. All right. We'll say bye bye. Uh, well, 